We're in the early part of our new series called By the Numbers. Today we're going to check out the number three. It is one of the most important numbers in the Bible because it's used to complete our understanding of the one true God. But more than that, the number three also reveals God's power, his sovereignty, and his work in the lives of people for the good of his people. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. Although the Bible makes it clear that there is but one true God, it also makes clear that there are three persons in what we called last time the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The one true God, the God of the Bible, is a three-in-one God, three persons, yet just one God. Bible scholars have coined a word or two to describe our three-in-one God, the word Trinity, or triune God. Tri means three, un, or uno, means one. One of the clearest passages that speak of the triune God is at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Then, this was after Jesus' resurrection, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus himself teaches us that there are three persons. Yet he also said, I and the Father are one. From my perspective, our three-in-one God is a true mystery. This wasn't the first time Jesus spoke about the three-in-one nature of God. During Holy Week, before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he told his disciples, When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The word Counselor is another name for the Holy Spirit and, and really emphasizes his work. This passage teaches that the Holy Spirit is a distinct person from both the Father and the Son. But do you know the very first time we get a hint about the three-in-one nature of God? It's in the very first chapter of the Bible, where we read about God's creation of the universe. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. One God, yet multiple persons. In our last episode, I reminded you that in the Hebrew language, the letters of the alphabet also double for numbers. The first letter, Aleph, is also the number one. 
The third letter of the alphabet is Gimel and doubles for the number three. However, there are other Hebrew words for individual numbers that give us greater insight into the meaning of the number. For example, the word for three is shalosh. Shalosh has the meaning of harmony and completeness. Harmony and completeness? <laughs> That's a great way to describe our three-in-one God. But you know, I really like how pastor and author Tim Keller describes our three-in-one God in his book, The Reason for God, a book, by the way, that I would recommend reading to anybody. He writes, The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. When we delight and serve someone else, we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her. We center on the interests and desires of the other. That creates a dance, particularly if there are three persons, each of whom moves around the other two. So it is, the Bible tells us. Each of the divine persons centers upon the others. None demands that the other revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in the others. That creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. The early leaders of the Greek church had a word for this, perichoresis. Notice the root of our word choreography within it. It means literally to dance or flow around. Thanks, Tim Keller for that beautiful picture of our three-in-one God. But the number three is not only used to describe the nature of God. There are other ways the number three shows up in the Bible. For example, there are a number of places where God says the th same thing three times in a row. As we explore these, keep in mind the significance of the number three, harmony and completeness. The first time we hear God saying something three times is in 1 Samuel chapter 3. First, maybe a bit of background on Samuel. His father Elkanah had two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah was barren. Not being able to have children caused her much heartache. But Hannah kept praying to God for a child and vowed that if she ever had a son, she would dedicate him for service in the tabernacle. Well, God answered her prayer, and she kept her promise. After Samuel was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle so Samuel could begin his lifelong service to the Lord under the direction of Eli the high priest. One night, Samuel was lying in his bed, and he heard his name called. He got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am. You called me. Eli responded, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. When this happened a second time, Eli told Samuel, Now if this happens a third time, you respond by saying, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And it did happen a third time. 
For the Lord to call out to Samuel three times indicated there was something significant or special the Lord was going to do. And it was significant. The Lord was ending the tenure of Eli and his two wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and instead was calling Samuel to be his future spokesperson to be one of the Lord's prophets. For the next example of the triple messaging, we jump to the New Testament during the life of Jesus. Can you guess how many times Jesus specifically predicted his death and resurrection to his disciples? You guessed it, three times. The first was shortly after Jesus had fed thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and raised again. The second time was shortly after Jesus' transfiguration, another amazing event in Jesus' ministry. He said, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. The third time occurred as Jesus and his disciples were heading up toward Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Jesus said, The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. If you're a student of the Bible, I probably don't need to mention the next time Jesus said the same thing three times. It was just a week later, when Jesus went with his disciples up on the Mount of Olives where he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times Jesus prayed the same prayer. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Three times Jesus prayed this prayer, and the Father's response was, No, I can't take this cup of suffering from you. You need to endure it, for the sake of the people we love. You need to pay the price for their sins, so they can live with us in heaven for all eternity. The last example of Jesus saying the same thing three times was after his resurrection. But let's first get the context. When Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room celebrating the Passover earlier that evening, Jesus told Peter that he, Peter, would deny Jesus three times before a rooster would crow twice in the early morning. Peter vehemently stated that he would never deny knowing Jesus, but he did. In the courtyard of the temple later that night, he denied knowing Jesus. Now, after his resurrection, Jesus met some of, his, of the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. There, Jesus performed a miraculous catch of fish for Peter, James, John, Thomas, and Nathaniel. And after coming ashore, they all ate breakfast. And after breakfast, Jesus approached Peter and asked him, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Oh, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Oh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. 
Then Jesus asked him the same question a third time. And Peter was hurt. But he responded, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. This was Jesus' way of fully reinstating Peter as a disciple after Peter had denied knowing him. Three denials, three affirmations. And when God says something three times, he wants to emphasize harmony and completeness. Another use of the number three in the Bible is to identify the number of times something happened. We just heard about one involving Peter. Before the rooster crows twice, you, Peter, will deny me three times. The phrase three times, get this, occurs 30 times in the NIV translation of the Bible. Some of the 30 occurrences are significant and others are just interesting. Here's one example. When God gave his law to Moses at Mount Sinai, he told the people that there were three important festivals that every adult male needed to attend. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. These three festivals were regular reminders of the promises and power of God. Another example is during the life of Elijah the prophet. There was a drought in the land for several years, so food was scarce. God told Elijah to go to the town of Zarephath in the region of Sidon, which, by the way, is the country of Lebanon today. There Elijah met a widow and her son. Elijah asked her to make him some food, but in, in doing so, the widow would use up the last of her flour and oil. But she did it. And because she did, Elijah promised that she would never run out of flour and oil for as long as the drought continued. However, while Elijah was living there, the widow's son got sick, stopped breathing, and died. Elijah took the boy's body up to an upper room and laid him on a bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, you have brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. What an interesting way to restore the life of the boy by stretching himself out three times on the boy. Here's another triple play. The prophet Daniel came to Babylon during the exile and ended up serving in the king's court along with his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, not everyone in the king's court liked Daniel. In fact, some hated him. Daniel's enemies knew that he prayed every day three times a day. So they conspired to get the king to publish a decree that anyone who prayed to anyone but the king would be tossed into the lion's den. And this is what we learn. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God 
just as he had done before. Daniel prayed three times a day despite the king's decree, and as a result he was tossed into the lion's den, but he was miraculously saved from the mouth of the lions by a loving God. But that's another story. Did you know that the psalmist David wrote about this practice of praying three times a day? He did so in Psalm 55, hundreds of years before Daniel lived. David wrote, But I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. It also appears from historical evidence that praying three times a day was a practice that continued among the Christians living in the first century. Or think of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry when he went out into the wilderness for 40 days. By the way, we'll, we'll talk about the number 40 in a future episode. Out in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted by Satan. And how many temptations? Three times Satan tempted Jesus. How about one more example of three times? It's from the life of the Apostle Paul. In his second letter to the Christians living in Corinth, he wrote, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So at three different points in his life, Paul prayed in earnest that his thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, be taken from him. But God in his wisdom chose not to take it away. Another use of the number three is in reference to three days. The phrase three days is used 60 times in the Bible. For the most part, it simply refers to a period of time, kind of like a pause before action was taken or a decision made. One interesting perspective from Jewish culture was that three days past the time of the death of a person was an indication that the person was truly dead. Isn't that interesting? When you think of Jesus being in the tomb for three days, in Jewish culture, that was an indication that Jesus was definitely dead. Not sleeping, not in a coma, but dead. It indicated Jesus truly conquered death when he rose on the third day. Jesus rising from the dead was also foreshadowed from the life of the prophet Jonah. One day in Jesus' ministry, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you know, Bible scholars, asked Jesus for a sign that he was the promised one, the promised Messiah. Jesus responded by saying, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus indicated that his death and resurrection, three days later, would be all the proof needed to verify Jesus' claims of being the Son of God and promised Messiah. Another use of three is how it is threaded through the Bible to describe various groups of three people. In the Old Testament, we think of the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
all three received the promises of the Lord, Yahweh, that from their descendants all people would be blessed, and from their descendants the promised Messiah, or Christ, would come. One of the times the Lord made this promise to Abraham was when three men came to visit Abraham and Sarah to tell them that they would have a son in their old age. And one of the three was the Lord himself, Yahweh. Or think of the three leaders who led the Israelite people out of Egypt, Moses, Aaron, and their sister Miriam. Or during the reign of King David, there were three mighty warriors who served David and were responsible for many heroic acts. Or think of the three men in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, during the days of the Babylonian captivity. They were thrown into the furnace because they refused to bow down to an idol of the king. They were spared when a fourth person showed up miraculously to save them. Or in Jesus' ministry, he chose three of his disciples to be part of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. The three of them were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And by the way, there were three other people on the mountain with them, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Or in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took these three with him further into the garden to pray with them, but they couldn't stay awake. Three times, Jesus found them sleeping. In the book of Revelation, we hear about three angels. The first angel told the people to worship God and give him glory because he was coming to judge the world. The second angel announced the destruction of Babylon, which was symbolic of all those who opposed Christ and his church. All those who stood in opposition to Christ would be condemned. The third angel announced the eternal punishment that awaits those who opposed Christ by following Satan and having the mark of Satan on them. Now, there are many more uses of the number three in the Bible. Here's a couple of more examples, and then we'll wrap it up. The Ark of the Covenant contained three sacred objects, the jar of manna, Aaron's staff, and the stone tablets from Mount Sinai. After Jesus was born, the Magi brought him three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Or think of the Apostle Peter, who had a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven on which were all kinds of food originally forbidden for God's Old Testament people. You know, things like bacon, baby back ribs, shrimp, lobster, even alligator. Peter is told to eat, but he resists because according to the Old Testament law, this kind of food was unclean. This happened three times. This vision was to prep Peter for a meeting with a Gentile, non-Jewish man by the name of Cornelius. I, I think this gives us a sense of how the number three is used in the Bible and what it signifies. But there are many more examples. You'll have to discover those on your own. The number three, it's, it's one of the threads that we discover weaving through the Bible. It's a number that signifies harmony and completeness. It's a number used of God and to demonstrate God's power over all things in this universe. As you read and study your Bibles, look for the number three and how it is used. In our next episode, we'll explore the number four. It's a number that's 
down to earth, so to speak. Until then, if you have any thoughts or questions about this podcast, please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Now, if you're looking for additional Bible content to watch, read, or listen to, go to timeofgrace.org. We've got what you're looking for. And I want to tell you about a devotion book that we're offering in the month of November. It's a 365-day devotional for 2022 entitled Life to the Full. We're offering it in November because it will make a great Christmas gift for you, for a family member, or for a friend. Thanks for listening today, and God bless.